Friends, I have a long history with alcohol. By the way, my name's Phil. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. <laughs> Goes back to childhood, really. As I was growing up, I mean, that alcohol was a regular part of our family. I'm not saying my parents were um, alcoholics. That's for somebody else to decide. But, oh, bless you. Bless you, little one. <laughs> uh, that's for someone else to decide about that. But just say the environment I was in, it was just part of it. And I grew up that way. And of course, as I got older and went off on my own, uh, it remained a part and it became more and more a part of my life over time, lots of time. Until one day I found perhaps that this wasn't a good thing. But I didn't, I didn't take any action on that. Got to the point where I would have my drinks before I even went to work in the morning. Oh, it was, it was awful, I agree with you, just awful. Oh, don't take her out, come, don't. <laughs> okay, that's so sweet. You just see Jesus in the synagogue, you know, little baby Jesus, he was doing the same thing, right? So over time, it, it, I, I began to realize that this is kind of wrecking my life. I was making bad decisions, taking bad actions. You know, as I look back on those times in my life, the things that I regret are, of course, the decisions I made that were just stupid, ended up in disaster of one sort or another. But even more, I regret as I think back on things that I said, that I said to another person that was hurtful or inappropriate or I just should have kept my mouth shut, but I couldn't. Still having trouble keeping my mouth shut. But anyway, uh, I think you know what I mean, though. I regret those, those times. So I went on drinking, and I had this habit. I lived in Austin. And uh, I, my work was in Austin, and, and uh, my home was across the river in uh, what was called Westlake. And so I'd drive back and forth on Bee Caves Road. Anybody knows Austin knows these places. I, I forget I'm not talking to Austin here. But uh, so uh, in those days, I liked gin a lot, and I kept my gin in the freezer. If, if, you, if you like to drink gin, and, uh, and if you do, don't stop drinking it. Just check it in, whether it's working for you or not. But anyway, if you keep your gin in the freezer, it changes its nature. It's pretty good. And so uh, the point is I would drive past this same liquor store every time I went from work to home. And occasionally I would remember that my gin bottle in the freezer uh, was empty or near empty. 
And I would just pull into the liquor store there and get an, another bottle of gin, of gin. And of course, I got a cup full of ice. So I, before I even got home, I could open the bottle up and have some gin before I even got home. And by the way, it didn't take very long for that bottle in the freezer to get empty at all. But one day, as I was driving along, it occurred to me it would be better if I did not buy another bottle of gin today. And so I drove up to the up and just turned right in there and got another bottle of gin. That happened a couple of times. Like I say, it didn't take very long for that gin bottle to get empty, the one in the freezer. And I remember one day I said to myself, I'm not going to get another bottle of gin today. And I come along to the liquor store and first went right in there and got another bottle of gin. And I recall another time when I literally shouted out aloud to myself alone in the car, I am not going to buy another bottle of gin today. And I did. So it didn't take very long at all for me. By, by this time, it only took like a couple of days. I've realized this is crazy. I am totally out of control. I have to stop this. So without any particular help from anybody, except perhaps the Lord, which wasn't really at that time a really very big part of my life. Uh, we had a group, a group came over to our house for, for dinner, I guess it was. And so I liked old fashions a lot. So I very intentionally said, I poured myself, mixed myself an, an old fashioned. And I said, this is the last drink I'm going to have. And I was making that stick. And it wasn't any, any time at all, I mean like maybe a month, that I, through some bad actions and things I said, the, the little business I had going went, went south. And I was looking for work, and I ran across a, a person that would, became a good friend of mine over time, very good friend. And he hired me, and it turns out he was a long time friend of Bill W. Now, if you don't know who Bill W. is, I'm glad to start with that you don't. And uh, But Bill W. was one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He and a, a, a couple of other Episcopalians got together and had this idea that would, this would be a great idea. that We could go on a long time about that. That happened. But anyhow, my friend... Uh, became my personal sponsor, really, and led me to, to, to understand what was going on and what I needed to do. You know, like step one, I kind of did step one that day when I, when I realized that everything was out of control and I needed to do something. And maybe he led me on to understand that there really was a, is 
Alcoholics Anonymous like to say a, a, a power greater than myself that could make a difference in my life. Of course, as we sit here, we know who that is. It's God, right? Bless you. And uh, so as time went on, I was able to let that be my last drink, that old-fashioned. And thats I don't know for sure. It's close to 40 years ago. And I haven't had any since. I have on, on occasions, I, I don't lately, but on occasion I, I would take a sip of the communion cup. So I always said to myself, there's no evil in that cup. There's some other reasons I don't take it from the cup now. My wife is a microbiologist and she tells me things that I make me... <laughs> so I don't really want to go there. But uh, you see, that prodigal stun story is so... I so relate to that. Changed my whole life. I've told this story to some of you about the first time that I went back to church after a long time being away and seeing some friends on a Good Friday uh, in church. A dozen or so friends that welcomed me with open arms, tears. So nice, beautiful time of my life. Christ rejoices when the lost are found. You know, I think what St. Paul was telling us that Judith read so nicely uh, is we're all addicted to something. It's our human nature. That's what Paul is saying. I like to say what Paul is saying is the devil made me do it. If you read that. It's the sin within me that made me do this stupid thing. You know, we have so many addictions to choose from, really. You know, the, the, the 12 steps are certainly appropriately associated with Alcoholics Anonymous. Those guys started the, the, the whole idea of the 12 steps. But they apply to all of us. Of course, we have addictions to choose from. Number one, the number one is alcohol. Probably the most damaging thing we have in our culture, on our planet, in terms of harm that is done from addiction to alcohol. There was a genuine effort to, to solve that problem. Remember, some of you may be old enough to remember prohibition. It didn't work out very well. The, the people weren't having any part of that. And then there's tobacco, probably the second most addictive thing in the, in, the, in the culture. All these things um, on the tobacco. I remember back in the day, uh, on, on, if you were on the, on the street on, on Congress Avenue in Austin, what would that be, Broadway here? I don't know. But uh, if you were walking along, 
Somebody on a corner, street corner, usually an attractive woman, um, would hand you a little uh, packet of, I think it was four cigarettes, for you just hand them to you. Just big corporate America pandering to our addictions and making us addicts, right? That's clearly what it was. Get these people to smoke these and they'll buy some. And then there's drugs of all kinds. We, we, we have a crash and we go to the hospital and we're in a lot of pain and they give you, for very good reasons, they give you pain medication and all of a sudden you're addicted to it. I don't know if there's anybody to blame for that, but there are some stories. And then there's food. Food's a hard one, you know. There's a 12-step group, Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, we gotta have food, right? This is, the, this is the biggest problem. We don't need tobacco, we don't need alcohol, we don't need drugs all the time, but we do need food all the time, every day, three meals a day. But there seems to be this conspiracy. I'm not a big on conspiracy theories, but I don't think this is exactly a theory. I think it can be proven beyond any doubt that there is an effort to compound together sugar, salt, and fat to make something you can't put down. They talk about give you some potato chips, bet you just can't eat one, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And I, I think there's so many of us that would not wish to be uh, the size we are, I don't know. It's a problem, isn't it? There was something in that reading from St. Paul that I kind of have an issue with. He said, there's, there's no good within me. I just don't know if that's true. There is good within us. Paul, maybe <laughs> not unusual for St. Paul to be a little hyperbolic in his claims, but uh, I think there is goodness within us. We can find that. But he's right. We are addicted to our humanness. We're all addicted to something. If you just stop and think about it, there's something that you have to have, or you think you have to have. It's all different kinds of things. And, and it seems like in this day and age, there's a 12-step group for you no matter what it is. I don't know how many different, we have 12-step groups that meet here in our classrooms all the time, usually in the evenings. If you need one, check in, we'll, we'll hook you up. I think we have a kind of a hole in our heart, a, a hole in our soul, maybe you could say, a hole in our heart that we would like to try to fill up that hole to feel, uh, to feel whole, to feel safe, 
to feel love. And we try to fill that hole up with by feeding our, our bodies with something. And it's not just our body, really. You know, I, I lived, uh, shall I say, in a different marriage. Um, tele- television was running all the time, 24-7. Well, perhaps off at bedtime. Always the television's running. Bless you. And what is that about? What are we... What is it? We feed ourselves with the sound of the television. But the addiction doesn't go away. An alcoholic will say, I'm not a, a... I'm not cured. I'm not a recovered alcoholic. An alcoholic will say, I will always be an alcoholic, but I'll be a recovering alcoholic. The addictions really, they're part of, a part of us. That if we can just use our minds and the grace of God that's given us, given to all of us, we can see that and know it. And if it's harmful, you know, I, I suppose that we could say there are addictions that aren't harmful. I don't know, chewing gum. Does anybody chew gum anymore? I don't see much. There's a gum chewer back there. We have a group for you. (laughs) That's not harmful, is it? At all, you know? I don't know. Sugarless, right? Not sugarless. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I think we just need to to fully understand that idea that there's a power greater than ourselves that can make a difference to us. And if we just kind of turn this over to that power, and, and you know, the, 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 at least, the, and there's many ways to deal with this. It's not just the 12-step program. We're not selling anything here. Believe me, we're not. But, uh, but the people that come Together, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the power greater than ourselves becomes greater. And the sponsor who has sponsored you to that program helps you, just like my friend Charles helped me, uh, helped me to get through it. We help each other. I don't know what else to say, but thanks be to God, here I am. It's been over 40 years. I'm so very, very grateful. Thanks for hearing me. Amen.